0: Hey everyone, thanks for joining us today. A quick announcement before we get into the message for today. Uh, Veracity, our teens, are going to be having a soup sale Thursday, February 18th from 4 to 6 p.m. here at the church. Uh, This year is a little different than years past. It's going to be all takeout this year, so you can stop on your way home from work. You can come in and pick out some soups or... You can message us ahead of time, and we'll bring some soups out to your curbside, and then you can take those home and uh, enjoy some soup for dinner at home. But all the proceeds from that will go to our teens and help them to get to Momentum Youth Conference this summer, uh, which you can be praying that we're able to have Momentum Youth Conference uh, this summer. We had to cancel last year because of COVID, uh, but hopefully this summer we get to have it and all the funds from the sale will go to, to support that. So mark your calendars. We'll have a lot more information coming out as we get closer. But mark your calendars today, Thursday, February 18th, 4 to 6 p.m. Stop by the church and buy some soup to support our teens. Uh, for today, as we get into the message, we're going to continue our series on transforming faith. We've been looking at different people throughout the Bible that had a transforming faith, a relationship with God that affected who they were and how they lived. And we looked at some classic examples of faith like Abraham and Joseph. Last week, Pastor Doug looked at Jonah, who's maybe not quite as classic an example of faith. The guy that actually had a a reluctant faith was uh, reluctant to allow God to change him and, and reluctant to be obedient to God. But it, it was a, a powerful story nonetheless as, as God told him to go to his enemies uh, and to share God's love and mercy with his enemies, which is something we really need to hear in our country right now with how things have been. But uh, Jonah had this reluctant faith And we move on from a guy with reluctant faith to, today, a guy that had a complacent faith. A guy that wasn't always as serious about his faith as he maybe should have. And that guy that we're looking at today is a guy by the name of Samson. And you may know Samson's story from the book of Judges. And if you've read and looked into Samson's story uh, you may be tempted to think as you read through that, did Samson even really have a transforming faith? He did some pretty not great stuff in his life. But the crazy thing is, is if you go to Hebrews 11, which is sometimes called the Hall of Faith, where the writer of Hebrews in, in that chapter is trying to explain what faith is and, and what can happen when we have a transforming faith. And he lists some examples of men and women that had a great faith in God. And in Hebrews eleven thirty two, 32, there's Samson's name. That at some point in his life, Samson came to a transforming faith in God, a faith that was impactful enough to end up being listed in Hebrews 11 as an example of faith. So how did he get there? How can we learn from that? It's going to be an interesting story for us to look through today. And the account of Samson starts in Judges 13. And as we open up to that, I want to remind you that Samson was a real guy that lived at a real place during a real time in history. Uh, Samson's an easy guy to look at his story and just kind of look at him as a a cartoonish figure. To look at him maybe as even like a Marvel superhero. He's this guy that had superhuman strength. But he was a real human being, a, a real guy like us who had struggles like we do and who God used in amazing ways. So we can learn a lot from his story. So look at the start of it, verse 2 of Judges 13. There was a certain man of Zora, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So there's this man named Manoah, and he has a wife who's barren. She's, for whatever reason, been unable to have children. And we we don't know exactly how old they are, but it would probably be safe to assume they're a little bit older because it's clearly been an issue that she hasn't been able to have children. They've tried and they're just unable to do it. And that would have been a huge thing at this time. That you really would have been looked down upon if you were unable to have children. And so this is a huge thing that the angel of the Lord comes to her and tells her she's going to have a child. This would have been a huge blessing from God. And it it's kind of cool. I don't want to overlook that because it's a reminder to us just how much God loves and cares for his people. That God could have chosen any woman at this time to be the mother of Samson. God could have chosen some 20 year old woman who had just gotten married, hadn't even really tried to have kids yet to be like, hey, you're going to have a child. But he chose this woman who had been barren, who had been struggling, was not having a child to say, I, I want to bless you. I, I want to give you this gift. I want to lift you up and encourage you in this way. And it's an awesome reminder for us to just look at our lives and see how many times God gives us little blessings that he really doesn't need to give us, but he gives us these little blessings just to show us how much he loves us and and how much he cares for us. And so this angel of the Lord comes to this woman and says, you're going to have a son. Brief little side note there. Uh, when it says the angel of the Lord, I think that's talking, I, I believe that's talking about the pre-incarnate Jesus, that that this is Jesus before he came to this earth as a human and in the Gospels later on. Now, some scholars would disagree with me and say it's not Jesus, it's just an, an angel and um we can have a discussion and a debate about that some other time. It's, it's not necessarily important for our message today, but I just want to give you that little tidbit that I, I believe this was Jesus appearing to this woman. And he says, you're going to have a son and it's going to be a, a special baby. He's going to be a, a special adult. He's going to begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. You see, Israel had struggled in conflict with the Philistines for years and years and years. They'd been oppressed and they'd been harassed by the Philistines and they could just never overcome and overthrow the Philistines. And God says to this woman, your son, he's going to begin the process of saving Israel from the Philistines. You see, later on in Samson's life, he's going to attack the Philistines and win some battles against the Philistines and he's going to start creating chaos for the Philistines over in this one region of Israel. And about the same time, a guy by the name of Samuel, whose story is recounted a little later in scripture, Samuel's going to start leading some battles and winning some battles against the Philistines in another part of Israel. And then this is eventually going to lead to a guy by the name of David who becomes king and, and wins some decisive battles and overthrows and overcomes the Philistines. And finally sets up Israel as their own independent nation. And Samson gets the, the blessing of being the guy or one of the guys that starts to begin this process that leads Israel as its own sovereign nation, right? He's a guy that's going to be hugely blessed by God. But the angel of the Lord says to his mom, in order for him to be blessed like this, you need to keep a Nazarite vow until he's born. And then after he's born, he needs to maintain a Nazarite vow for his entire life. And I'll explain the Nazarite vow in a a moment, but I just want to point out here that there's this transactional faith, this this deal set up between Samson and God. Samson, you do this one thing, this Nazarite vow, and God will bless you and, and give you strength and allow you to overcome your enemies. And so uh, Samson is born with this transactional faith. And this is something we've talked about all throughout this series, that we can have a a transactional faith. I do this and God blesses me. We can look at our faith that way. Or we can seek to have a transforming faith, where we say, I actually want a relationship with God. I want to know God more and have Him know me. And and I want to serve God and live a life really with God not just trying to work a deal with God and we're gonna see Samson starts out his life with just this this deal with God Samson you can be powerful and strong but you have to keep this Nazarite vow and so what was a, a Nazarite vow well Nazarite vow is found in Numbers 6 2 through 6 Uh, I'm not going to read that this morning. You can read that on your own sometime if you'd like. I'll just give you the highlights from it. Uh, Samson's Nazarite vow was for life, but generally a Nazarite vow was just a temporary vow. Just for a period of time, you would take this vow to especially focus on God for a period. Uh, It's kind of like what um, some Christians, Catholics, and some, some other Christians uh, do now during the, the season of Lent. Right? If you know what Lent is, for 40 days leading up to Easter, uh, some Christians fast from some things and, and do some other things during that time to especially focus themselves and prepare themselves for Easter. A, a Nazarite vow is somewhat similar, at least in the general goal of it. Take this period of time to do some things to really focus myself on God. And those things that you were supposed to do during a Nazarite vow, first of all, you weren't to touch or go near a dead body. Whether that's a dead human body or a dead animal body, you weren't supposed to go near any of it. And this wasn't just a Nazarite vow thing. This was something that was practiced by kind of all people of Israel. They tried to avoid dead bodies Because if you went near a dead body, if you came into contact with a dead body, again, a person or an animal, then you were considered unclean. And there was this period of uncleanness where you couldn't go and participate in any religious ceremonies until this period was over and then you were ceremonially clean again. And so since the Nazarite vow was a special time dedicated to God, special care was taken not to go even near a dead body because you didn't want to be unclean. Second thing, you were to have no wine or strong drink, not even vinegar or any part of a grave, not not even something that was like on on its way or could be on its way to becoming alcohol. So abstain from alcohol. Third thing. No razor shall touch your head. So no haircuts while you're in this vow. Uh, by the way, have any of you guys seen Pastor Doug recently? I think maybe he's taking a Nazarite vow or something. His hair is getting pretty long up there. I'm just joking around. Uh, but that was part of the Nazarite vow. No haircuts while you're taking this vow. And so Samson is supposed to do these things throughout his entire life. If he does them, he will be blessed by God. He has this this transactional faith, this deal with God. And his mom does a good job during pregnancy, keeping up her part of it. And in verse 24 of Judges 13, we see, and the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the young man grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him in some places that I won't try and say, And so Samson is born. He has this transactional faith. He has this deal with God. And the, the, the deal is going alright. The Lord has blessed him. The, the Holy Spirit of God is starting to stir into him. that he, He's going to start to do some stuff against the Philistines. But the thing we don't see in here is... Is we don't see any evidence that Samson has taken this transactional faith and moved it all into a transforming faith. That his faith in God is, is simply just this transaction. There, there's no evidence that he actually has any real relationship with God, that he's trying to pursue God or, or grow to go grow to know God more. He's simply just checking off some boxes. So that God will bless him. And this becomes even more evident as we look at Samson as he gets into his adult life. Look at Judges 14, starting at verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. So Samson goes out, Samson sees this woman, and he says, I I want her as my wife. Now, here's the thing. If we read through this whole account, uh, it doesn't say it explicitly, but uh, we could be led to believe that at this point, in verses 1 and 2, all Samson has done is seen this woman. He's not even talked to her, not even said hi to her. He's basically just seen this girl and said, man, she's hot. Mom and dad, go get her as my wife. Now, you don't have to know a ton about God or a ton about the Bible to know that's not a very godly way to get a wife. That's like a middle school boy way of getting a girlfriend. Right? That's what middle school boys do. Oh, you're cute. Do you want to be my girlfriend? By the way, what's your name? Right? That's what middle school boys do. And Samson goes and he says, oh, she's good looking. Mom and dad go get her to be my wife. And along with that, she's a Philistine. Which, at this time, God had been pretty clear with His people that they weren't to marry Philistines. That they weren't to marry people who weren't followers of God. That they were to not associate and not marry with them. And now, I'll be clear, but before you write an email to Pastor Doug this week saying, Oh, Ben is all against interracial marriage... Uh, I did say at this time, that is what God said. Uh, to be clear, I, I think God is perfectly fine with interracial, interethnic marriage right now. I, I do think God still warns us that marrying someone who is not a believer can lead to a, a lot of struggles, both in your marriage and, and for you personally, <clears throat> in your faith. And God advi- advises us against Marrying someone who's not a believer, though he doesn't forbid that now. At this time, at Samson's time, God had clearly told them, don't marry someone who's not of the people of Israel. And really, even at that time, it was more uh, about faith than even about ethnicity. It wasn't about necessarily excluding them because of their ethnicity, but more because... God knew if the people of Israel started marrying people who weren't following God, just like today, they're more likely to be led away from God. And so it it's not even so much about interracial marriage. And I spent way too much time talking about that right now than I really w- wanted to. But I want you to be clear, I'm not against interracial marriage. But it, at this time, this was not what Samson's supposed to be doing. Samson is not following what God would want him to do. He's not living out a, a transforming faith at this time. He's not really seeking God. And so I think that's pretty clear there. right? And as we go on in Samson's story, we see that He's not just not serious about a transforming faith. It, it's questionable how serious he even was about his transaction faith with God and his deal that he had with God. Look at verse 8. After some days he returned to take her. That's this woman that he wanted to marry. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. That's a couple verses before this he had killed a lion. He returns to see the carcass, and behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out with his hands and went on, eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. And so remember, what was the first thing we said about the Nazarite vow? You were to not go near a dead body of a person or an animal. And what does Samson do? He sees this dead lion. He doesn't just go near it. He scrapes some honey from out of the carcass, and then he eats it, which that's really gross to be eating out of a dead animal carcass. Uh, But that's what he does. And besides being gross, it completely goes against one of the stipulations of the Nazarite vow. And he even goes beyond that, and he takes them home, and he gives it to his parents, and don't tell his parents where it comes from, and he, he leads them into sin and disobedience from God. Even though they weren't under a Nazarite vow, as I mentioned earlier, just general practice uh, in Israel, in the Jewish religion, was not to uh, be in contact with a dead body. And so Samson's not even that serious about his transactional faith. We see this again in verse 10. His father went down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there, for so the young men used to do. As soon as the people saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. And so Samson goes down, and he he has this big wedding feast. And it says in another verse that it was seven days long. And the Philistines bring him 30 companions, right? 30 young guys who were not God-fearing young guys, and people aren't that different today than they were back then, and as we're probably all aware, if you get 30 young crazy, especially if they're not God-fearing guys together, there is most likely, most certainly I'd say, going to be alcohol, and probably alcohol in abundance. And so... Samson has this party and and there's probably alcohol there and based on the character we see with Samson and how he deals with women throughout his life uh, he doesn't seem to be the most self-controlled guy so I doubt he's sitting at this party sitting in the corner going on ah, no thanks I don't want any wine I'm good with my Mountain Dew most likely though it doesn't say this explicitly but but most likely Samson's probably right in the middle of the party Right in the middle of the booze and the whatever is going on at this party. And so remember, what was the second thing in the Nazarite vow? Abstain from alcohol. Samson is not even real serious about his deal with God. This guy is completely complacent in his faith. God has blessed him extraordinarily And he's just absolutely complacent. And this is the first thing I I really want us to think about today. Where are we in our faith? What what does our faith look like? The the only thing Samson really maintained uh, was his hair. And uh, thankfully for him, God let that be enough for him to be blessed and have strength still. But other than that, he, he didn't even bother to keep the other parts of his deal, let alone have a, a, a transforming faith. He, he's just completely complacent in his faith. And my question for us is to look at ourselves and what is our faith like? Do we have a complacent faith too? Either has it been the pattern of our life or or have we been in a season maybe where we have a complacent faith? Uh, Are we a person that maybe went to to camp, like a summer camp when they were younger, and and you were sitting around the fire at summer camp, and, and one of the counselors says, Look into the fire. Look at that log burning you don't put your faith in Jesus, that's, that's going to be you in hell for all eternity burning like that log. And you went, oh man, I, I, I don't want to burn from all, for all eternity. And so you prayed the prayer so you don't burn for all eternity, but that's all your faith has ever been. Right? You maybe show up at church a, a couple times, but it, just enough that that I don't have to go to hell and, and I don't have to burn in fire. And I don't necessarily question the theology of that camp counselor, though I question his methods a little bit. Right? But is that your story? Is that where your faith is and, and has been at? I, I just want enough of God to get me through. I mean, that that's what Samson's living out I'll, I'll just do enough That I can get enough of God's blessing to to get me through, but the rest of my life I'm just kind of doing what I want. Or maybe we've had some transforming faith in our life, but we've entered into a season where we've been complacent. And and to be honest with you, I, I struggled with this in 2020. 2020 was a tough year to really stay focused. Uh, we kept hearing social distance, quarantine, isolate. And it was easy to really get sucked into yourself and not be pushing to grow. Just kind of be complacent with where you're at with the Lord and, and not be growing at all. And And so maybe you're in a season of complacency like that a period in your life where you're not really striving to pursue the Lord and, and striving to grow in your faith. And I, I want to share with you a verse in Proverbs 1. And God really hit me personally with this verse uh, near the beginning of this year. Proverbs 1, 32. For the simple are killed by their turning away, And the complacency of fools destroys them. Especially that second part there. The complacency of fools destroys them. My my point here to this morning isn't to make you question whether you're saved. Right? If you've had that moment where you prayed your pra- that prayer and, and you've, you've really believed and trusted in Jesus, then uh, I believe you're, you're most likely Savior. You're going to heaven. And my point isn't for you to question your salvation, but to question and think about what, what are you doing? What have you been doing with your faith? If we're just living in complacency that eventually leads to destruction. And and I'm I'm a guy that 100% believes in eternal security. I don't believe you can drift away and lose your faith. I don't think God will let you go that far. But we can drift away to the point where we cause ourselves some pain and some destruction. More importantly, as we're drifting away from God, we're we're missing the things God really wants for our life and the things God really wants to do in our life. And the thing is, if we're complacent, then we're not sitting still. We're drifting away. We can never we never just sit still in our faith, in our relationship with God. If we're not moving forward, we're, we're being drifted and being pulled back. That's just what our world, what our culture does to us, just pulls us away from God unless we're actively pushing towards God. It's kind of like if you've ever canoed or kayaked in a river. Uh, for a couple summers, Uh, I did some camping down near Lake Racetown. I'd go down there with my family and we'd go to a campground and where the campground was located it was it was right on the water and it was right where the river starts to open up into Lake Racetown. So there's still some current there and one of the things we like to do is we we take our kayaks out and and you go out on the kayak and And then you just kind of float along and and fish or just kind of lay there and enjoy the sunshine and uh, you just kind of float along. And then eventually somebody would like look at their phone or look at their watch and be like, oh, man, we need to get back. We got to get dinner ready. And you look around, you go, oh, man, how how do we get this far down the lake? And so you start paddling back and. And the current's not super strong there, but it's enough. You feel it as you're paddling back, and you you paddle, and you get a little tired, and and you stop. And it wasn't too long after you stopped there, you're drifting back down away from the campground again. That if you wanted to get back to the campground, you had to keep continually paddling so that you could get back there. And that's how it is in our faith as well. That if we allow ourselves to be complacent, we're just going to slowly drift away. If we're not paddling, if we're not pushing towards Jesus and growing in Jesus, we just slowly drift away. And we could end up drifting to a point where it's going to cause us some pain and, and some destruction or... Or if not that, we are definitely going to miss out on some of the stuff God wants to do in our lives. And I want to challenge you this morning not to do that. To fight against that complacency. Because if you know the story of Samson, you know what happens in Samson's life. He's complacent in his relationship with God. And eventually in Judges 16, for the sake of time, we won't read through it. I'll just kind of summarize it for you. But in Judges 16, Samson falls in lust with another girl. Right? I didn't say in love there. I meant to say in lust because it's definitely not love. He just sees another pretty girl and he's like, I have to have that girl. I have to have that woman. And that woman's name is Delilah. And Delilah was not a good lady. Because as soon as Samson and Delilah start hanging out a bit, the leaders of the Philistines, they come to Delilah and they say, Delilah, we'll give you this giant bag of money if you betray Samson. Seduce him. Find out the secret to his strength so that we can capture him. And Delilah's like, cool, I like money, I'll do that. And so, Delilah goes and she seduces Samson, and then she starts badgering Samson day after day. Hey, tell me where your strength comes from. Tell me how you got your strength. Tell me what's the secret to why you're so strong. If you really love me, you would tell me why you're so strong. And she keeps badgering him and badgering him and badgering him. And eventually, Samson just gives in and says, it's my hair. I have this deal with God. If I keep this vow, or at least this one part of this vow that I'm supposed to keep, this long hair, then I'll be strong and I can fight off the Philistines. And so what's Delilah do? Right away she goes and she tells the Philistines. She sets up this plan when he goes to sleep. A guy comes in, cuts Samson's hair, ties him up. And he wakes up and he goes to break free and, and defeat the Philistines like he's done multiple times and and all of a sudden he realizes he can't. And the Philistines capture him and they gouge out his eyes and, and they throw him in prison and they make him do slave labor and they bring him out at times to laugh at him and ridicule him. Right, Samson hits rock bottom. He, he's drifted in this complacency and drifted to destruction. And the saddest part of this whole story with Delilah and with Samson being captured is verse 20. Look at what it says there. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. He did not know that the Lord had left him. Simpson had drifted so far from God that he didn't even realize God wasn't there. He didn't even realize how far from God he was. That's a, a terrible thing that he had been so complacent. That man, he, he just doesn't even realize. God isn't with him anymore, and I really pray none of us get to that point. That would be a sad, sad thing for us to get to that point. Again, I don't believe you can lose your salvation, but get to that point where you're in this bind and you don't even really know how to approach God because it's it's been so long and you've drifted so far and and your relationship with God has become so weak that you don't even know where to go and and how to approach God again, right? That's a big danger of of being complacent is we're going to come to this time of need and and are we going to be close to God in that time of need? Samson had lost complete touch with God. And so again, we we fight that complacency. We strive to pursue God, to have a transforming faith. Because there's danger if we don't. There's danger in complacency and drifting. But thankfully, the story of Samson doesn't end there. And our talk for today doesn't end there. that, That there is a bit of light and a bit of hope at the end of Samson's story. Look at verse 28. Remember, Samson's had his eyes gouged out. He's he's been in prison, slave labor. They've drug him to this party to laugh at him and ridicule him. Verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Samson's hit rock bottom. And finally, at rock bottom, he realizes, man, I need more than just a transactional faith with God. I need God. I need his help. I need to cry out to him. And and out of that humility and humbling of himself, he, he cries out to God and says, God, please help me. God, I need you. That he finally humbles himself and cries out to God and and does more than just this deal with God. And his prayer wasn't perfect. I don't know that his motives were absolutely perfect there, but there's still this brokenness and this humility and this crying out to God, you are the only one who can help me. That he finally seeks to draw near to God in his last moments. And God comes and and God allows him to do something amazing. And and it says there that he killed more Philistines in that last moment of his life than the rest of his life combined. that, that he did more in that moment of broken surrender to God than all throughout the rest of his life. And this is both sad and encouraging. It's sad because it reminds us what could Samson have been? Had Samson surrendered and had a transforming faith earlier in his life, what amazing stuff could he have done? How much more could he have done throughout his life? How many more Israelites could he have rescued? How many more battles could he have won? How much greater a victory could he have had over the Philistines had he really committed to follow God in a transforming way earlier in his life. It's sad because he missed out on so much of what God could have done in and through him. And it, it's a reminder to us that we, we don't want to miss out on what God can do in and through us. We don't want to put off surrendering to God We don't want to wait and be complacent now because we're we're missing what God can and what God wants to do in and through us. But this is also encouraging. That even though Samson's at rock bottom, Samson's at the end of his life. That while he still has breath there's still opportunity for him to come out of his complacency and to turn wholeheartedly to God and for God to do something awesome through his life. And it reminds us, wherever we're at, however long we've been in complacency, however much we struggle with that, as long as we have breath, we still have the opportunity to turn to God and passionate, transforming faith, and see God do amazing things with whatever life we have left. There's nobody that's been too complacent for too long that they can't turn to God and be used in a mighty way by God. And maybe you need that encouragement for yourself, Maybe you need that encouragement to spur you on to go and, and talk to somebody else and challenge and encourage somebody else. Maybe there's that person you know who you've been praying for them for years and years and years that they really commit their life to Jesus. And the end of the story, reminds us that as, as long as they have breath, there's still hope, there's still opportunity. That they can surrender to God and God can do something amazing in their life. But I challenge you don't wait. Don't wait. Don't be like Samson and waste all your life and wait till the last moment. Step out of complacency now. Step into a transforming faith. Commit to passionately pursue and follow Jesus. And then just be amazed at the awesome stuff God's going to do in and through you. I challenge you to do that in 2020. Uh, I encourage you, make some practical, concrete goals for this year. Concrete goals. Maybe you're going to make a goal to uh, be more regular in reading and and praying. Reading your Bible and praying. Maybe you're going to be... more committed to stepping up and, and taking the opportunities that uh, Josh leads in for outreach. Right? You're going to take part in some of those outreach and service opportunities this year. Step up and, and do that. Maybe uh, the challenge from last week, that the, there's somebody from your past that you need to get together and, and reconcile with them and, and share with them the love of Jesus. Whatever those concrete things look like for you to to passionately pursue Jesus in 2021, I I challenge you to do that. God has awesome stuff He wants to do in and through you, but if we're complacent in our faith, we're going to miss it. And I don't want to miss it, and I don't want you to miss it. So let me pray for us. Lord God, Father, we thank you for the example of Samson. We pray that we would learn from his mistakes and his errors. A guy that was offered so much and failed to really do all he could with it and up until his last moment, until he fully surrendered to you. And, and I pray that we would learn from that example, that we would not be complacent. Whether we've struggled with complacency or our whole uh, life or whether it's just been a, a season, uh, a 2020 where we've been complacent. Let us make 2021 a year where we passionately pursue you and follow after you, Lord God. Work in our hearts, work in our lives. Lord, uh, I look forward to the awesome stuff you're going to do in us and in our church this year. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.